Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Okay, so today I get two two wonderful gentlemen for an interview. So if you guys wouldn't mind telling me like a little bit where you are and what you did, but we have Greg Hoff and Lou Allard, who we were at the show at the same time, but you were there much longer than I was. So if you guys want to just introduce yourself and just say, you know, what you did with Hello Hollywood, hello, and then we will just go down memory lane. And I know there's so many stories that you have that the dancers don't have because you had a very different view of the show. Okay, uh, well, my name is Greg, I'll go first. I uh, started with the show in 1978, April, where the show actually opened in June. So I was there uh, to work on the construction of the show. And I came to the show uh, after meeting a fellow backstage at the Liberace show that I was working uh, in 1977. And he uh, said, hey, come on over, we're gonna need you when we get ready to go. So, so I did come over to meet him and uh, turns out he was fired when I got there, but hey, you know, <laughs> Eventually, I did get on the crew, and I uh, started in April. We did a lot of work in the, uh, building the sets and, uh, and getting the big show together. And I have to say, the stage was incredibly huge, very large, fantastic to see such a big thing like that. But uh, yeah, I stayed there through the run of the show, uh, worked in the lighting department for the most part. So uh, that's my story. Okay. I'm Lou Allard. Uh, I started working there in the beginning of May. Uh, I it took me a while to get on. I don't know why. I kept on putting my application in and they kept on never calling me. So I finally heard that they fired someone, a bunch of people in May. My brother-in-law was part of the original crew. So I went down there and finally got a job. And then for the next two weeks, because the dancers were on a, they gave the dancers a week off because of the construction. The show was supposed to have opened on May, but they had to can't, they hold it for a week for a month, I mean. And so I spent building the, the earthquake fallaway units underneath them for every day. <laughs> you know, I, someone was up on top putting a bolt in it while I was underneath it holding the nut to tighten it up so all the earthquake would fall apart. And then I be, uh, went to stage right crew to start with. And then, you know, I was there for the entire run of the show. And by that time I'd been on every crew except for wardrobe. I also ran the lounge, the Lion's Den Lounge for six months. Oh my gosh, like this, just this conversation to most people will be like, what? So when you even talk about earthquake, can you even, can you tell, like, cause we were in the show, we know, but if someone has, hasn't seen the show, can you just tell, like even just San Francisco, if you just take the San Francisco segment, you've got Knob Hill, we've got the park, you've got, um, the earthquake, but can you tell like, even if, as a person who's working scenery or props, like just that section was a lot of work. So can you tell like what actually happens that we had an earthquake on stage? <laughs> what year is it? It's supposed to be San Francisco 19. Wait, what, was, what year was that? The earthquake. What year the earthquake was? I think uh, the earthquake wasn't the earthquake 1906, is that right? I think so. Yeah, so it was a reenactment of a real earthquake. Um, yeah, so what was that like to um, work on that to get it up and going and then to run it show after show, like all the moving pieces and 
they were called fall away units where uh, the scenery would actually fall apart. It was all on rigged so that it would, um, parts of it would drop to make it look like a building was exploding. And the big set itself was on three rolling risers that were, I think, 12 by 24 feet long. And that's how everything was being able to move on stage and off stage. And then it was full of pyro and explosions. Because I remember pyro. Like I remember there was a lot going on. It yeah, there was a pyrotech. There was a pyrotechnician who uh, had a portable box that they would walk around with, and they could fire off different uh, set pieces at a different times. They wanted to make sure they could walk around, so they could make sure that the pieces were clear of a performer or a technician, for that matter, before they fired the pyro, because uh, it could you know, seriously uh, blind someone or something of that nature. There's a lot of particulate that was coming out. So yeah, it was exciting. Uh, that whole San Francisco piece, or I'm sorry, segment of the show, it, uh, it had uh, another piece that played before the earthquake, which was the Spider Kelly's Bar, which was quite a piece of uh, technology in itself. It was uh, a, a stage within a stage, if you will, it was a portable set that had a stage that would telescope out and uh, and then after that scene occurred, then it would pull back in. And uh, I mean, that was a huge big piece. It had curtains and everything like a regular stage. It was supposed to be, you know, circa, uh, well, the, the San Francisco uh, bar scene. So uh, then that would take, uh, it would transition into the, uh, the, the earthquake piece. So yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of movement, a lot of big sets. Yeah, everyone was all, all the crew was choreographed. Was, you had to be at the right place, you know, at your place at that time. Otherwise you wouldn't move. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And speaking well, no, we... of the crew, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, I remember when the show first opened because there were so many large sets, they had a crew of 90 people, 90, 90 stage hands. That's a huge number. Wow. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was because they had all these big sets and they had to make sure they could get them all on and off, you know, as needed. And they had these big waterfall units that played later in the show. And those, I think, required at least 12 people per unit. So, I mean, it was just the, the logistics of moving this heavy stuff around. It's crazy. And that's by pushing it, right? Because I think I remember where the water, were the waterfalls on the main level or they, they were below? They were on the level. Okay, and watching people push these giant sets, and we had to be careful because we can't be in the way. So I think we had we had to know, like when you're learning the show, you have to know the choreography, and you have to know how to get off stage without getting in the way and getting run over and not slowing you guys down. So like, there's a whole dance that happens when the curtain comes down of the next thing yeah. happens. And right. after about six months, we finally got a forklift, one forklift to move some of the scenery. Oh yeah. my god. So you talked about, Lou, that you worked on, the, was you say Buttons crew or Buttons team? Buttons. I worked in the, in the button, button, button booth. Uh, <laughs> button booth. So you're not just collecting little buttons. So the button booth. Yeah, uh, that's what it is. Uh, I, you know, I did that at the very end of the show. I, that was one of the last things I did for Hello Hollywood where I ran the curtains in the button booth. I, mainly after Hello Hollywood, when I stayed on, I became the button man. The button man. <laughs> all the other shows. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Like, the elevators, like I was in the living curtain, which we would run up, get on, and then come down. Yes. And then there was 
space queen thing that they got on in the basement. And then that, out, that elevator came up. And then there's mm -hmm. a waterfall of the underground thing, like just that space number. I think there was like at least three levels of when you get on and then one would go down, the other would come up. But like how many people are on that crew of just, because a floor would have to open, the next thing would rise up. And that's, that's gotta be a lot of people the timing was critical for that and uh, again it's it's such a complex show it was so critical that everybody was doing the right thing at the right time and the performers were a critical part of it because for these things to move they had to be sure that it was clear like the living curtain for instance they had to make sure everybody was on that living curtain from the upper level before it could move and that that piece was a hundred feet wide, I think, or maybe 80 feet wide, might, might have over, yeah, I think it was about 80 feet wide and 40 feet tall. And uh, it's about, probably about uh, 10 feet deep. It's hard for people to imagine what, it's like a huge, wide, tall elevator. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're also 40 feet above the stage when that thing first starts to move. So if everybody's not in the right position, somebody could easily get very seriously hurt. So well, if you're afraid of heights too, that would be a terrible thing. Oh, yeah. Terrible yeah. place. I, when I, it was my last week in the show, somebody's replacing me. And then when they're replacing the dancer, they can sh ask them if they wanted to go out so you can do their part. And I always wanted to fly in the space thing with the space suit and the whole thing and the harness, which was really, really fun. But I remember being hoisted up and then you go slow motion, but then being over the stage and watching it, the floor open and seeing the basement piece way, way below. I don't even know how many, how many feet was that from, the basement to up where the astronauts flew. I mean, that's a, that was a long... Well, that, would, that would have been about 50 feet because uh, the LZ is 25 feet below the deck level. And then it's, I think it's 40 feet to the... The LZ means lower. We kind of froze there for a second. Yeah, I was just going uh, to interject there that when he says the LZ, he means the lower level of the theater or like the basement if you will and that's where a lot of the sets were stored and that's where the elevators would uh, uh, make their their initial move from up to the deck level and the elevators were actually uh, tall enough that they would come to the deck level and then if they wished they could take them to what they call double deck level because the lower level of the elevator actually had a set piece on it for like that space piece that we're talking about that had a special hexagonal uh, stainless steel set piece on it. So it would come all the way up 25 feet above the, the floor level. It's kind of hard to imagine, but it's... it's uh, B elevator, which was the middle elevator, on its lower section, it had the silver space. Oh, that's it. Was, it, was, it was the C elevator had silver space, and the B elevator had the underground. Right. It came up all the way to the top. Right, right. The, okay. cave, the cave scene. The underground, because uh, I don't know how much water, but I, that was a full-on waterfall, both sides. There's the whole number going on, and there's a waterfall. Right. So that goes into, a, like, I don't they call it the rain trap, or was it called something else? It would drain and then just cycle back up, because we had rain and then some other number. Was that the yeah. same thing, waterfall and rain? And just it was the same number. Same number? Yeah, so, the rain curtain that was on the proscenium, uh, of the theater there, it could just run continuously. And then they had the, uh, there's a 30,000 gallon tank that's underneath the stage that stored all the water. So once you get the elevate, I mean, sorry, once you get the uh, waterfalls going and the rain curtain, it could just go continuously if you'd like. 
um, but it would create a great deal of humidity in the room. Uh, yeah. the rain doors uh, did fail at one time and they did have water go out into the audience, which was exciting. Oh, really? How Was it a lot of water? <laughs> Quite a bit, yes. <laughs> I, if you're going to see the show, it's kind of like going to a Gallagher show. You might get wet, you might get horse poop yeah. on you. I, I remember someone's shoe flew off and like kind of skimmed across like the dinner plates of somebody in the front row. So <laughs> you're going to bring a tarp. So also there was another, I know I talked about this with another person about when the horse fell in. I was there for that one and we have to keep going. But I was not there, but I'd heard the story of Ted Roberts falling in in Top Hat. Can you tell that one of what happened? Because that's terrifying and funny. And hello, Hollywood Hall. It's like, of course that's going to happen. <laughs> right. Well, Ted Roberts was uh, one of the male dancers and uh, one of the taller ones, I would say. And uh, he, along with the other male dancers, had moved downstage. And he stepped onto that area of the stage, which was, uh, you know, it's a, basically a false floor that would uh, get triggered to open up for uh, the, the uh, waterfall portion that came much later in the show. But when he stepped on it, it hadn't been properly secured. And uh, so it, it, it went down underneath his weight and he went right into the trough. And uh, he was a tall enough gentleman that uh, you could still see his upper body sticking out. Oh my God. <laughs> while the choreography is going on around him. But uh, he's quite a trooper. He was able to get out and continue with uh, the show. Was so, there water in the trough or was he, did he get no, out No, there wouldn't have been any water in there at that time. Okay. All the water drains out uh, oh after, the, after the waterfall scene. I feel like somebody else fell in, but got in, well, that's probably possible. That show ran how long? I was only there a year, but you guys were there from beginning to end. There were uh, 6,941 performances. Yeah, years. Yes, wow. 11 years. So yeah, it started uh, in June, June 3rd of 1978 and it closed April 18th, 1989. And Greg, you got to be there for the beginning. You saw the opening night in the audience. Uh, I, uh, I, was, uh, I was on the electrics crew when we first started the show and uh, we had been working long, long hours uh, trying to get the show built and uh, no days off. And uh, we decided that we had enough people that we could allow one person to have a day off. And so we drew straws and I ended up with the lucky one. And I was able to get the opening night of Hello Hollywood off. And so I came to see the show and I sat right in the front and watched it. And it was quite the experience. I had no idea what the show really looked like because I'd never seen the whole thing. You're busy when you're doing the show. You've got other things going on. So it was uh, a terrific experience. And uh, after that, I had a great deal of pride working that show. Yeah. So it was, it was something to see, believe me. Yeah, we went weeks without a day off. <laughs> it was just straight through. We, there was too much stuff to do and too many things were changing. And yeah, we just had, you know, we, at the end, it was, uh, what was it? 6 a.m. to 10 p.m., I think, is what we worked. And wow hours and came back and went over again plus the rehearsals unless the rehearsals went long that night depending on how mood Don Arden was in <laughs> right oh man that's hard to imagine like that getting ready to open and if things aren't ready and things aren't working did, did you guys have things that you had to I'm sorry what Lou we did the preview night right before the opening night and uh just for invited guests and stuff and the families went and saw it and 
as soon as the show was over, we all had to go back to work because we still had to, you know, things had still to, to be built for the next day. <laughs> yeah. I can remember, I can remember actually the show was supposed to open when the hotel opened, which was May 3rd. Uh, and, and they realized that it wasn't going to be ready in time. So they decided to delay opening the show for a month. And uh, it was interesting because they, they brought in uh, Joan Rivers and uh, Dean Martin. Uh, actually, I think, no, I take it back. It was Joan Rivers and uh, uh, Matt, oh, what's Matt Davis. Matt Davis, thank you. Oh, Matt Davis. <laughs> yeah, for him. Anyway, uh, so I can remember that we did two shows with them. And uh, they had to be careful backstage. They were still trying to build the show. They were trying to build Hello Hollywood. So you had people welding and you had people hammering and all this. And they had to go back and shut them up because Joan Rivers was trying to do her act. <laughs> oh, my God. I was one of the people in the back hammering. Yeah. Oh, you were, you were the one. Okay. Yeah, that was me. You <laughs> so, to set them up. And, yeah. So the opening of the show, because when I would tell people there's an airplane on the stage, I think again people are maybe picturing like a little biplane well that's still pretty impressive if you can get an airplane on but the airplane came for i'll never you guys talk about that and then it just goes back and there's still all the room for the whole show and an airplane can still be on the stage i mean that's that shows right. that the airplane was designed uh, to look a lot like uh well it's actually based on two different aircraft uh, a bach 111 which is a british airplane and then uh the b or, i'm sorry the uh um, Boeing 707 or 737 sorry so it had the two the, the jet engines underneath the wings but it had the high t-tail so it kind of a uh, kind of grabbed two different uh, design ideas but uh, the interesting thing is they had to make it so the wings would fold up so that the waterfalls it, it could fit between where the waterfalls stored just that sentence alone yeah, like, well, the waterfall units were, uh, they were probably about 30 feet tall, weren't they, Lou? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, it would have been about 28 feet. Plus, they originally had another layer up on top that they couldn't use. Because hmm. wow. they wouldn't roll underneath the lighting. <laughs> they were massive. They, uh, they were uh, probably another, probably 25 feet wide, I'm trying to think. But they would telescope out. So when they got into position on stage, there was a, the living curtain was playing and then uh, the, uh, they, would, they would project out as the living curtain was going out. So it, was, it would be amazing to see the show like in um, sped up time-lapse. Yeah. Uh, just seeing one come down, one come in because it really is, it's almost like a Tetris thing and that this has to go here before this piece can go and this has to go here and things are coming up and storing. That's funny you say that because they actually made some models uh, when the show was being constructed, they gave the job to one of the stage crew. I think his name was Craig. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Craig Brown. Uh, yeah, and he he put together uh, scale models of the big sets, and they were they figured out how they're going to park all these pieces of big scenery uh, and and make it so the show could continue to flow downstage. Meanwhile, upstage stage crew would be putting away different big sets and getting the next one ready. So it really was a bit of a ballet, if you will. For, yeah. just yeah, for one of the hardest moves was the gazebo, like getting the gazebo set. And over to San Francisco. Yeah, that you know, trying to get a preset ready to go, to strike it, and afterwards, and then get Knob Hill set. They were always in the way, running into each other. That we finally one night yeah. we figured it out, about a month into the show. 
Did you ever have things that just didn't work or you couldn't get a set on? And I mean, I don't remember that ever that ever happening, that things were delayed, but it was it ever like, it's not ready and they just, the orchestra keeps playing or- I remember there was, was Spider Kelly's was the big one that, when it would get stuck and when it was extended, it stopped everything because nothing could go around it. The earthquake couldn't get set. But luckily, we've only had to cut the cable one time to actually push it in. Yeah. Wow. When he says cut the cable, he's referring to a winch. It was like a winch and a cable system that uh, would pull that, that extended set back into the main body of the set. And it was quite a Rube Goldberg uh, design, if you will. It was very complicated. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was uh, interesting. And, and a lot of these set pieces had to get moving pretty quickly because they were so heavy, you needed the crew to start pushing on them pretty hard and fast just to get the momentum up to keep them moving. And once they got moving quickly, if somebody stepped in front of it, like a dancer coming out of a dressing room or whatever, it, it could be very dangerous. So you had to have somebody watching to make sure that uh, nobody got in the way. Yeah. So of all, all these years, you both had, you had moved to different places. You never in, were in one part of the stage the whole time. Like you said, you were stage left, stage right, sound, or you were lighting and sound or just lighting? Uh, for me, for me, I started out on the stage working in the deck electrics crew. I think there were seven of us that, and for that, you basically uh, you make sure that all the all the, uh, the, the the lights that have to light up on the different set pieces and such they're all plugged in their particular spot that they're supposed to be, so that when the when the when the energy comes through the floor pocket, what have you, that particular piece lights up. Um, sometimes we had to run fog, like your night and day costumes that you wore with the big feathers and such we provided the ground fog for that scene. So they had eight of these large um, uh, fog machines that basically heated up a bunch of water. It's like a portable water heater. And then you drop uh, this uh, uh, dry ice into it and it creates- 25 pounds of dry ice. <laughs> yeah, there was a great deal of dry ice for that show. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, so you would, you would have to time that correctly so that the, uh, the, the heater uh, wasn't too hot because if you put in that dry ice and it's too hot, it, it comes out too big and too uh, wispy. You need it to come out nice and slow. And uh, anyways, there was, there was a bit of an art to that. And it took us a while when the show first started to try to determine exactly what the temperature should be and the timing. So every little thing, even the dry ice, you know, it was critical. And also how, how big the ice pieces were, that was critical as well. You couldn't have it too fine. You couldn't have it too coarse. So it's just funny how you something like that. Yeah, you had to drop the basket really slowly. Otherwise, if you did it too fast, you get water on the deck. And right. then you know, the dancers couldn't, didn't know there was water there because it was all yeah. cold and stuff and they'd be slipping. So that was one thing we always had to look out for. <laughs> yeah. It's so, when you say that, I can smell, well, I think it's the fogger <laughs> that has this distinct smell. And I will right. be, rarely they use it, I go, like that smell has some like old home <laughs> sweetness to me. Like, oh, bug, dry eyes. But yeah, there's there's so many moving parts. And then Lou, you were in props because you were stage right. And I remembered like night and day. Those yeah, I was on stage right. Okay. And then I went to props. And then I went to deck electrics and then became the day electrician for six months. And then when I came back, there wasn't an opening for me. So they made me a swing tech which was basically working every crew. And then 
I went over to the Lion's Den Cabaret and ran that one for six months. And what's then I came a, what's back. That, what's the Lion's Den Cabaret? The Lion's Den, the cabaret out in the casino where they had. Oh, yeah. Oh, so they put yeah. you to work everywhere. Yeah, I did that for a while. And then I even did uh, AV convention for a couple of months, just wherever they needed me. And then after that, I just came back and just, I did a lot of light booth and uh, sound after that for the last two years of the show. That just seems intimidating if you're swinging because there's like, if you're a dancer and you screw up, it's obvious. But if you're doing a set in the wrong place or if you don't know exactly what you're doing, it just feels like that would be a lot of um, pressure to not screw it up. Really good. There were a lot of cue sheets. Now, when I went to the light booth, you know, you don't have time in the show to really read a cue sheet. Uh, and it was interesting, you know, as when I later became the, the board operator for the show, uh, it's an interesting thing because you're not only running the console, but you're also calling cues for the spotlights, plus you're having to listen to the radio traffic, plus you're having the phone ring if there's a problem in the show, something isn't going right, and somebody might call you and say, oh, this isn't going to happen or whatever, and so you have to know to skip over certain cues what have you, or, you know, tell the spot, uh, oh, they're not going to come out on that side, they're coming out on this side, or what have you. So it, it was really demanding in that regard, and every show is slightly different, you know. And that particular show, uh, the, the technology that we had at the time, it, uh, it made, you, you really had to be very involved when you're running the, the console. You were constantly having to flip a lot of switches and things to make it all, make the electricity flow the way it was supposed to. So and, uh, spotlights for carbon carbon arcs that's right for the last year and a half of the show so you always had to make sure that they were burning right that they weren't burning up and <laughs> yeah when he says carbon arcs that means you've got the spotlight and basically it's like a welding machine you have two uh, uh two pieces of copper that you strike together and it creates an arc and then that arc uh is in a focal point of a a an ellipsoidal shaped reflector, and that creates that strong beam of light that comes out of the spotlight through, a, through another lens. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, later on, they, they went to a newer design, which uh, is an electric bulb. You just flip the switch on and boom, you're going. So I always tell, you know, these young whippersnappers that, hey, you, <laughs> you don't know how lucky you are. Right. <laughs> I had to spark my own light. Yeah, well, it was, a, it was an art to running it because you constantly had to monitor that while you're also running the show. So, so you really are, you know, having to do a few different things at the same time. Yeah. When you said that you were also the orchestra, oh, sorry. And the orchestra, we didn't, the audience didn't see them. They don't know that it's live or canned, but I, they were like hidden like below. We knew there was an orchestra, but you've got the person calling the music cues in the light booth so that they oh, can see uh, the... That's not quite the way it worked. Uh, you had the conductor who uh, is obviously with the orchestra down in the lower uh, level in the special band room that they had. And I believe they had about 20 musicians. Is that right, Lou? They started out with 27. 27. Yeah, it was down to about 14 or 15 when the show finally ended. But. Right, always cutbacks. But, yeah. uh, uh, but as far as uh, in the lighting booth, you, you had the the projectionist who also part of his job was to run the camera so that the conductor had eyes on the show. So there were certain cues that you had that you would focus in, you'd zoom in on a particular, I remember Sadie, 
the character Sadie that would come out yeah. in the audience for the San Francisco scene, you had to focus in on her because she's interacting with audience members and he would, they would do a hi-hat or, or some, some little uh, accent on um, moves that she would do. So they wanted to see all that kind of thing. As far as the band having monitors, the conductor had a, a big monitor and then the drummer had, a, had his own little monitor so he could do all the rim shots and stuff. And everyone else, they followed the conductor. You know, they, they, there was no video of the show why they were playing. So they were just playing street music and that was it. They didn't get to see the show or. Yeah. It's so weird. I wish like if I could go back and we'd love to do the show, but also see all the things you're saying. And to, like, there's so many moving pieces and everything makes the show even more extravagant because dancers without the costumes, that would have been nothing or without the lighting or the sets and everything had to, had to go together oh, for yeah. that show to be so magnificent. I wanted to talk about the acts because um, I wasn't there for the, um, the oh my gosh, not the Farcos, Furcos, Farcos. <laughs> I was there when it was the, um, the Jolly Jovers and Jerry, the aerialist, and then Johnny Hart. And then there was, there was a um, crossbow thing as well. Like we would yeah. do these huge numbers, then we could go back and knit a sweater. Like we'd have time to go back and right. like have a party and come back for the next section. Cause these acts were probably like 15, 20 minutes long. Yeah, they're 20 minutes long. And yeah, when I, was, when I was on props, that's what our main thing was, was working those acts. So I worked the magic act and handled all the crossbows and pushed everyone. We had a few different magicians through the run of the show. I remember one of the magi mag magicians had triplets in his act. And of course the audience only thought it was one gal. Ah. So they to do all kinds of tricky things because there were triplets, but they were never allowed to go out into the into the casino between shows together. They could never be seen together. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's so Cause I, I was, when I, before I went in the show, like you get to watch the show while you're learning it in rehearsal, then you put it, see every night you're watching it to figure out where you're supposed to be. But I remember watching in the light booth and that Johnny Hart with, he had a, I think it was a white tiger. The, the act is like, there is something with an Excalibur, like a full, yes, beautiful car that goes up in the air and disappears. And, I don't know. I don't know if he turned into a tiger or anything. I don't know what. Actually, a white horse. Oh, was there a white horse in that one? Yeah, the, the car would disappear, and then uh, a white horse would come on stage, and he would oh, ride off on the white horse. Well, actually, he, the one Excalibur would disappear, and then all of a sudden it would come on from stage right. Yes. Drive on stage, and then a horse would come. And uh, he would ride it off on the horse, but one night he backed the horse up into the audience, <laughs> and, no. you know, knocking over tables and everything. And so they stopped that finally. But yeah, the horse actually fell into the audience, and it was fortunate that particular night. I think it was a winter month. Uh, there was a, a empty table there, right where that horse fell. It was so fortunate because obviously somebody could have been seriously hurt or killed but the horse just went right onto the, right onto the table and then onto the floor. And, and one of the uh, dancers was, I believe it was Mitch Rishawi, uh, Jillian's husband. I believe he's the one who quickly ran out there into the audience and grabbed the horse and just let him backstage. So, yeah, <laughs> you, have to, you have to think fast, like dancer down, like somebody fell in the range from the horse in the audience. Like that's uh, yeah. wow. Cause okay. So the Excalibur, 
because now we can give away the secret because the act is no more. Right. It was like a curtain that would just like the car goes up and it's a beautiful it, it car. It was in a box, a steel frame box with plexiglass on it. So you could see through it and the, the car actually went up on a ramp, like a car wash ramp. So, and so it would stay hanging straight and then the box would fall apart from the back and just come down. It would, and be, a power, it would be a pyrotechnic blast. So it would kind of, the audience would be blinded by this pyrotechnic blast. Yeah, a black curtain would fall down in front of the car to make it disappear. Every once in a while, we get caught on a bumper or something like that, but it usually worked pretty good. And then yeah. in the back seat of it, with, and Joni Keller, the, the driver of the car, as soon as the curtain closed, we'd have to jump up out of the seats and roll up the curtain so they could put the box back together so it could go back down to the deck and, and roll off stage. <laughs> oh my, yeah, that's another one. There's so many parts that have to work for that. Yes. And didn't he have a white tiger in there? I feel like there's a tiger involved, or maybe it was just the no, horse. He had white dogs. White dogs? Okay. Yeah. yeah. We Dying did have tigers there. later in the show, or later in the run, when we had the furcos. They had the furcos. Okay. Yeah, furcos and Carlton and company, who had the triplets, also had a bunch of animals that they played with. And then we had the bear, uh, the Barasini orangutans that yeah, I got to... <laughs> You know, take one of the orangutans by the hand and lead it on the stage, and you know, and so it was really weird walking off, walking backstage with this huge orangutan holding your hand. You know. Yeah, they developed a bit of a relationship. People were talking. I know. <laughs> then the baby orangutan, which was probably two years old when the act was over, I would pick him up from the stage right revolve, and he would run to me with his arms up to for me to hold him and. And I was, as I was walked back, you know, back to the ramp, he'd be picking at my hair and, you know, playing with my ear. <laughs> That's know? what happened. Okay. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so was that, was that in the opening, the big, when the show opened, was the orangutan? No, that, they came in 1981, I think it was. They were there for about six, six weeks or so, so that the, uh, the regular acts could take a vacation. Okay. I think, I don't know if it was that show, I just remember someone telling me about, it was either chimps or orangutans throwing poop at the audience, and I don't know that, maybe that wasn't Hello Hollywood. Well, you know, the, uh, the, well, there was a lion, of course, in the show, that was in the finale, there was a, a large set piece that uh, would come up from the, from the lower level, and the, uh, uh, the cage that the lion was in would, would rotate towards the audience so that they could see the lion, and it was supposed to be like the MGM movies, you know, where the ideally the lion would roar and uh, it would be a, a special moment. But uh, quite often the lion would actually have his butt face towards the audience and he would spray, <laughs> spray urine all over the dancers on the, on the set piece there. So, so there, was also, there was a stage in the LZ that the, the lion didn't like. His name was Jim. And every chance he gets he would spray him. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Because you know, they just decide, I don't like you. Yeah, that's what it was. You see Jim running into the one of the bathrooms down there that had the shower in it to rinse himself off. Cause we, oh my gosh. Because he was not in the show when I was there, but I think, because I know the, the courses were down below, because when I would get ready to come on for yeah. uh, 
space, I think it was, to go, or no, it's for the finale. I would just go pet all the horses because I just thought, this is such a weird world mm. that I can go, you know, pet horses that are in the show. And I, I was sad I wasn't there when the line was in there. But well, right you, used to, you used to be able to hear him. You'd be up on the stage floor, the, the upper deck, and you could hear this this roar going on from, he's down below, he's in a, in a, uh, I think it was a cement uh, block room. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't keep him there all the time, obviously. They had a ranch that they would take the, all the animals to. Uh, they would just bring them in uh, in the afternoon. They'd be there for, I think, probably eight hours and then take them back again. But this lion would be down there and sometimes he'd start roaring and you could actually hear him way up on the deck. Yeah. They had, wow. two yeah, they had Caesar, then they have got a more tame one. Nimrod. Nimrod. Yeah. Nim or Numrod, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was downstairs a lot of time, you know, for days <laughs> on the day crew. You know, they'd come in and feed him, but yeah, he didn't go home very much towards the end. Then really? Got rid of all the animals, so. Yeah. Because that'd be hard now to have people be happy about animals in a show, especially if you see them fall in the audience or like wonder. It's just things were different back then of how animals were oh, yeah. part of those. Never think about it, the elephants, you know, how they clean out the elephant before the show and stuff, you know, it's, it's not a pretty picture. Yeah. So did you, you worked with elephants, Lou, in the, another show or? We had a, in Hello Hollywood, one of the replacement Segway acts was, uh, it was Tanya the baby elephant. And it was, I don't know, what did you say, Greg, about two years old or so? Oh, I, I don't know. I, it could have been older. I'm not sure. Yeah, it was the old nugget trainer that had the act. But yeah, the elephant was uh, always back there and you know, he would lead it around and, you know, have to be in the right place. And it would do a, a beam act where it would walk back and forth on a beam. And, you know, it was just like a little dog. <laughs> yeah. I would, I had worked the elephant act over at the nugget before I came to the, uh, the MGM and there they had two older elephants and uh, or one was older and one was younger, Bertha and Tina. And Bertha would uh, do a trick with the uh, slot machine. And when the slot machine paid off, she'd get bananas. <laughs> but unfortunately, you know, what goes into an elephant comes out again. So that was a big part of the act too, was making sure that if something was dropped on stage, it was quickly, you know, uh, removed with, with a little flair, if you would. Right, yeah, get, <laughs> the dancers have to come out in their feathers and not that be walking. stage over there was only, I think, 30 feet wide, maybe maybe 40 at the most. And the stage at the Grand Sierra is 110 feet wide. So that's a big difference. You mean MGM. <laughs> yeah, we Sorry. like to call it MGM before they took it over. Yeah. That's right. So what was, I know you were there for the last show. What was that closing show like? to be there from the very beginning of building sets to do that 11 year run and then see it close. It was very melancholy because most of the people couldn't understand why they were closing it. You know, it's it like, it was still going and it was holding, I don't know if it was holding its own or whatever, but instead of changing a little bit, they decided just to get rid of it. And, you know, the stage was never really the same after that, but the last show, that was, everyone was on top form. And, you know, it was just sad at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it was mixed, uh, mixed emotions. But, uh, you know, that show, like I said, I was lucky to see the very first show. And that was exciting. 
And I have to say that that last show was every bit as exciting because people were giving it 110%. They knew that was their last chance to, to give it, you know, give it everything they had. And, and it, was, it was obvious and the audience was just so excited about it. Most of the audience was probably, you know, friends or somebody who had a connection to the show. But uh, I think that must have been a hot ticket. I have no idea how quickly it but I bet it was fast because yeah, that was a very special thing to see the last Hello Hollywood Hello show. Yeah, I was and doing then, backstage sound for the last show. So the, the, just working with the performers all the time and no one, you know, everyone was all you know, really sad that it was ending. Yeah. I was sad. I saw it. I think I saw it like maybe halfway through the run, but I was, I wanted to be there for that. And I was somewhere else. I would, I wish I could have been there to see that. I think I probably would have cried a lot. And then the next day you guys go back to work, but it's now done. And then you have to dismantle all these huge set pieces and put things away. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, we, uh, we were part of a, there were only seven people that were retained from the crew. And uh, I know for myself, I felt a bit, <laughs> guilty that I was still there with a job and my friends didn't have one. Uh, but uh, we had to uh, immediately get ready for uh, a show that was coming and they were turning over to uh, the headliner uh, motif, if you will. And uh, we had to get ready for the uh, Dean Martin show coming in. And uh, so that gave us something to shoot for. But we, I remember we had to, to take some of the big sets out uh, and that was not, not fun to have to throw those in the garbage. Oh, yes. oh yeah, because like, nobody's going to be able to, to store those. Big, you know, sets. they actually had some people came and, and, and you know, there were some people who wanted some of the sets, but they were so big that, you know, most people, you know, other theaters can't use them. They're too big. Yeah, and they just get taken apart. Yeah, eventually, uh, I know this was years later, the, uh, the top hat that we had for that would play behind the top hat scene went down to Las Vegas and it was used in Jubilee. Really? Oh, that's good. Okay, get to use that more. I feel like I saw that and I was like, wait, this is deja vu. Cause I saw yeah. Jubilee like the last week before they closed. But I think there was some things like, I think some pieces even had very similar vibes to them. Right, that's probably one of the few stages that would be, you know, similar size, even though the, the, the Reno stage was larger, but that Vegas, that Vegas showroom is also very large. Yeah, I have so, the San Francisco Park bench in my backyard right now. And do you really? Oh, please yeah. take a picture of that. <laughs> Needs to be painted, but I also have the horror house bed. I, I took that after because it was sitting there, and they're going to throw it away, and I just fit in my truck very easily and took it home. <laughs> so, if you guys wanted things, that you could take things and. Yeah, I saved stuff from the dumpster that. We're throwing away that. I go, no, this has to stay somehow. Yeah. yeah. First, well, when we had the reunion two years ago, because that was wonderful for Hello Hollywood. And I was so sad I didn't get to get on the stage. But they had the Knob Hill staircase. So has that just been hanging out backstage for this many years? Yes. Right. It's one of the few uh, pieces that remains from the Hello Hollywood Hello era, only because it, it fits the scale of the stage. And they have done some things in there over the years where it's it's been uh, handy they've done a couple of uh, orchestra setups where they've had the orchestra in front of the staircase and they've had a an opera singer up on the on the staircase uh, they've used it for different uh, 
whole, uh, I guess you'd call them conventions or dinners, things like that. They've had special presentations where that, that's been used. And also nutcrackers. They've done some nutcrackers where they've utilized that set piece uh, over the years. But most of the other set pieces are gone, unfortunately. They're just too, uh, too big. You know, they had to get rid of them. Uh, the waterfalls were taken apart probably on what, probably eight or nine years ago now. And that was quite, quite quite an undertaking. Those things were put together extremely well. It's amazing. That stuff, I think the show was originally designed to last five years, but uh, those, I think they must have thought 50 years because they put extra effort into those. <laughs> the airplane is still there, right? The airplane is... Correct. They just recently repainted it. Uh, it looks very similar to what it looked like in its original motif. Originally, oh. it was painted uh, to look like a Western Airlines jet. And so now it's white, it's a white body with a red stripe going down the side. It's very similar to what it used to be. Oh, this, yeah, I remember it being white because it was silver or gray or something for a while. It was, at a, uh, it's had a few different paint jobs on it. Uh, one was uh, uh, the American Airlines um, style. It actually said American Airlines on it. And uh, ironically, that's what it was on, when, back on 9-11 uh, when we had that uh, terrible attack in New York. Uh, with the American Airlines hitting the Twin Towers. So that night for that particular show, that was a magic show we were doing. They pulled it from the show. Uh, they kept it out for about three or four days because they were concerned that people would be, you know, thinking it was in poor taste. But, right. Oh, wow. Yeah. Then we had a show where disappeared the airplane. <laughs> right. Yeah, the, the magician would make that airplane disappear, which you think, wow, making an Excalibur disappear, that's tricky, but you ought to see an airplane disappear on stage. They actually pulled it off. I, I, didn't, I never thought they would, but they did. I wish there was video. There is. <laughs> there is? Okay, because I know like I've been trying, I have an old one and it's with, but it's not as old as when I was in it because I wanted to see the tiller line, the kick line, and I can't find video. So if anyone has that this listening, I would love to get that video of that. Because they, they actually took the tiller line out for the last part of the show. Um, they, when they started doing headliners, they had to they had to cut the show a bit to allow room for the headliners to come in. So then you're doing headliners on this giant stage. So they, I, I know we talked about it before we recorded, but that you can't just stick like a headliner on this football field size stage and have them not look puny. So they had to do scale it in a little bit so they didn't lose your artist on this giant stage. Right. Uh, we've they've done a lot of, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's been there, different people like this. You know, when you've got a, one comedian standing on that big stage, that gives them a lot of uh, walking room, that's for sure. Right. But, uh, nowadays, what a lot of the shows do is they carry their own sets and they carry, uh, you know, uh, video walls and things of that nature that fill up the stage a bit. But, but uh, yeah, if it's a, a smaller group or a small act, it gets lost in that stage. I remember we did that band called The Band. Remember that, Lou? Yeah. <laughs> the original band. And these guys did not want to spread their stuff out at all. They look like a little clump in the middle of this huge stuff. <laughs> <laughs> That's really hard we, to imagine that anyone could. Uh, group Counting Crows, and they were coming in through the back door you know, behind the airplane. And they thought that the, the airplane, where that was, because we had the black curtain drawn hiding the airplane, they thought that was the stage. And he comes up and he goes, but how do we get this airplane off our stage? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Just have to work with it. Oh my yeah, God. So I said, look behind the curtain. Then they were amazed how huge it was. Yeah, of course. 
Yeah, we did a show. Uh, well, I've done numerous shows, and there are rock bands have always said, oh, we want to use the airplane. Well, no, sorry, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, we actually did let them use it one time. It was, called, it was a band called uh, uh, Angels and Airwaves, I think it was called. I, I wasn't really familiar with them. They were a rock band. And so we did bring the plane on at the very last part of the show, turn on the, the landing lights, and the audience went nuts. Like, oh, fantastic. Oh, my God. <laughs> I remember because of being on that I think I went into Heatwave was my first piece I went into and I think that um air hostess what they call this for the opening I think that might have been my second number but you load in from you come up the stairs get on the airplane and then we had to go out on the wings we had our nice little stick we held on to as the move, the airplane moved which that, I was asking you how that worked because people are like how does that work but the audience would always be like because oh, they had that little scrim behind they had the little right. fake that would start and then right. well, at the beginning of the show the the main curtain would go out ladies and gentlemen flight 102 coming to reno and then we'd have uh, a scrim they would see it look like the reno city lights flickering and then that would fly out and then we'd see this scale model of the plane flying across the stage and uh, that that would get across and people were probably thinking to themselves gee i thought it was going to be a real airplane and then that scrim would fly and then we'd see the real airplane coming down the landing lights would come on and create quite a quite a stir blinding the audience right oh my gosh yeah that was just i think doing it for a year i was still like i cannot believe i'm on an airplane on the stage and there's still room for this giant cast to move i think and we lost lou i don't know if we will get him back on here um i'll keep watching for him but I know, like you said, that you married a dancer. That's right. She's about uh, 10 feet away from me. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. yeah. Diane, yeah. Diane came all the way from South Africa to be in the show. And uh, she came up to the light booth to watch the show, just like you did when you joined the show. And uh, we started talking. I was running a spotlight, and she was sitting on the couch. And uh, she was only supposed to be in the show for, I think, a six-month contract. But uh, something made her think maybe she should stay. So here she is, all these years later. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys met at the very beginning of her contract, then. That's right. Oh wow, that's that's a great story. And then she has a you have a studio together in Reno, uh, or I know you said you're that you guys are open now. Yeah, we have so. Nevada Dance Academy. That's right. The Nevada Dance Academy, we're in our 30th year. We took over, uh, well, Hello Hollywood closed in 1989, as I said before. And uh, at the very end of the show, Diane was pregnant. And actually, she was uh, doing a couple of spots in the show. She used to do what they called the Acid Queen piece, which was... Yes. Oh, my gosh. But uh, at the end, she didn't do that. And she instead was doing some other spots that uh, weren't quite as revealing i guess you'd say but one of the pieces she was doing was pushing the baby carriage which is kind of fun we have a photo of that because she was pregnant with our daughter and uh i actually have the baby carriage now we have that here and we also have the queen's row center booth which used to be in the showroom which a lot of very well-known people sat at over the years it's kind of fun but wow you guys definitely had the best uh, the best yeah. way to get and they were tearing all the boots out and they were just going to throw them away. I thought, oh, I've got to take this piece of history. So I've yeah. got a back garden. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So we are, um, Lou's coming on, but we are kind of ah, pretty much end of time. Is there anything else you want to say? Like, 
when you look back at your at your time doing these shows, is there anything that you're just like kind of in awe of or like grateful for that stands out more than just the show? Well, I've worked so many shows now. I've worked thousands of shows. I've worked a lot of Broadway shows. I've worked a lot of uh, rock and roll shows, all kinds of different shows and different venues. And I have to say, I'm so lucky that I've worked Hello Hollywood. It was a very special experience and you know the people that were in that show kind of hang together like family it can go you can go for 10 years without seeing somebody and you'll see them all of a sudden whether it's at costco or or whatever it is and it's like old home week and now that we have social media of course we all stay in touch uh, in some degree people are all over the world it's just it's been a terrific experience so you know i'm so so pleased that i was part of that yeah am i here yeah, you're here. We're here. Okay, you. I don't know what happened. I lost everything. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> yeah, Hello Hollywood. Basically, I mean that uh, the theater was my career. You know, before that, I was a musician, and I needed a job that had benefits, and so that's where yeah. I got that. And yeah, I mean, I stayed there until I it was time for me to retire. And you know, I, you know, trying to explain what I did to my grandchildren. They just have no idea, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, Papa works backstage or did something on stage, and you know, I try to explain it to them, and it just goes right over their head. You know. Well, that's why this this podcast was important because at the Hello Hollywood reunion, the stories that people were telling, and then I went to the Bluebell one in Paris this last summer, and just waiting in line, the stories that we're all telling, it's like, oh, we get it because it is bizarre stories. But we like you can pick up even if you weren't in the same show. We all get the language. We all know like what that was like and feel connected even if you weren't in the same show. But there's a lot of people that stayed in Reno. I feel like a lot of dancers married um, crew members or other dancers or wait staff or I feel like there was a lot of yeah. romance happening. There are quite a few. I, I guess it's just because of the the long run of the show. I think. But and I think par partly because it's Reno. If it was Paris, it might have been different. People probably would have been you know, looking at other things and doing other things. But in Reno, you know, it's a snowy night after the show. What are you going to do? You know, you're just going to hang together. And uh, I think there was a lot of socializing that happened with that show. Uh, and, and even in the summertime as well, you know, it was always somebody's birthday, always something to celebrate. And I think it generated this family atmosphere that, uh, you know, I mean, some people uh, have, you know, uh, second, third generations are here in town now. It's amazing to see uh, how many people are, are still hanging around Reno. And a lot of them that came from different countries as well that are still here. Well, I think the Bunyans, aren't they all UK? That's right. Yeah. And they're all still friends. They still do things together. And I'm gonna get them on an interview. We're just trying to coordinate our base schedule. But that that part is just these friendships that are still still happening. Yeah. I see them all the time, you know, getting, uh, what do you call it? Closing, I, we just bought a house, you know, to use the, the escrow officer who was an ex-dancer or go go to vote yeah. and one of the people is part of the you know right. the primary and that's right she uh she she was our escrow officer as well <laughs> that's awesome. it's a tight it's a tight community yes yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, diane my, my wife you know we we with this uh this uh, uh pandemic that's been going on it's been a crazy time for all the people that are in the entertainment business because let's face it the entertainment just kind of shriveled up and died and uh 
it's it's been nice to have uh, friends that help us out by by offering to you know uh, well we the the studio community let's say there's like three or four studios locally that are former hello hollywood hello dancers and rather than feeling competitive with each other we're on the phone we're talking to each other we're supporting each other it's uh, it's terrific you know oh it's that's really so good yeah. yeah oh so there you guys are different than because i'm in seattle and we are just starting to go into phase two but if you've been open and you've been able to have people in class today, you know, today was our opening day yeah so did people come in because i talked to um natalie who's in the uk she was just saying like they're coming in, but everybody's a little bit nervous. And you've got kids that they're, like she said, they're not dumb. They know that something's going on. So even like to pretend like life is normal. Right. What was that like? Were people just like, woohoo, we're back in or cautious? Well, we, we had a much smaller group than we would normally have. Uh, we're still doing Zoom classes. So uh, the classes, they have the option. They can come in and be in the studio or else they can watch at home on Zoom. Uh, obviously to do it from at home is not quite the same experience, but at least you're engaged and you know keeping up with what's going on but uh i think uh today went pretty smooth we're, we're trying very hard to to make sure that we're, we're we're taking every every uh safety precaution we can to make sure that people don't uh you know get exposed to any issues so and all the kids came in wearing their masks ready to go you know so yeah that's yeah. new I think the parents are excited. Get these kids something to do. Get them out of the house. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you did you have any dancers come out of your studio that went on to dance professional? Coming from you know both of you who lived that life and uh, well, we've had a few. Yes, um, there's uh, one gal who went on to do Broadway. Actually, two gals that did Broadway work. I'm trying to think if uh, the Vegas shows. Of course, the Vegas shows. You know that sort of thing, but. Um, you know, it's funny, a lot of the dancers that Diane has trained have gone into professional fields that, you know, it's interesting, like nursery, nursing and, and legal and, and things like that. We've had a lot of, uh, lot of kids that have really done well, and uh, it's a lot of them have been reaching out to us right now since, because uh, this article just came out about Diane, and it went, uh, went on to the social media as well. So we're hearing from people we haven't heard from in years, and they're all over the place. It's so fun. It's uh, so gratifying to hear back from these people. It's amazing how, you know, and you know, as a teacher, you know how, how much of an effect you have. Uh, maybe you don't realize it at the time, but later it comes back to you. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, my, yeah, my third interview was with one of my students that went on to do Jubilee. And it was, you know, because I told her there was this whole world for dance out there and then she pursued it but it is it is different with the dancers now there's not you can't say go to vegas or go because the shows aren't really there uh so we um oh my brain just stopped working was gonna ask you when yeah. we post it's a lot tighter it's a, it's a lot tighter for the performing world that's for sure uh obviously if you're a very very serious dedicated dancer you might have a chance in the ballet company and such but it's really tough these days uh, now, Diane's had a lot of her girls have uh, gone on to teach, which is really nice as well. So, you know, they got a bit of a career if they want it there. Yeah. So that's nice. And as far as the crew members, there's not very many shows that need crews. You know, there's usually one-nighters and stuff. And uh, the concerts, there's, the, there's not really a regular home theater crew. They just bring in people that they hire 
and oh. work for t-shirts you know this yeah that part is gone too you know i do have uh, a nephew and his son are both in the business and they're making it well my nephew is really big in lighting and his son now is working in vegas well until the the uh covid but yeah i mean they've carried on the tradition for the family but that's about it yeah, yeah just not as many well, I will say that, uh, you know, I've st I'm still involved with the local union here. And up until this, this pandemic hit, we were having a very busy year. There's not only shows, but also conventions. Now, it's true what Lou says. Well, and you might get uh, maybe three or four work out of it. And a lot of people working. So uh, it's it's been a really good really good year or actually the last couple of years have been really strong there's been a lot going on unfortunately now everything's just pulled out so and hopefully as i'm hoping people when it's safe to go back people are going to be so hungry to see performances again like yeah uh -huh. netflix is great right. but, oh my gosh what would be like to see yeah. have that again up on wednesday <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was supposed to be working american american and i'm sorry and american in paris this year so my dog doesn't like that show but uh anyway uh i was really looking forward to that one but uh unfortunately can't do it so yeah maybe we'll come back well that's like after maybe i'll have to do like a reunion zoom thing after because everybody i'm talking to is in quarantine that's what's so bizarre if i'm talking to someone in australia or paris everyone and so right. it's like Kind of feels like it's our own thing but to hear like everybody's experience of what it's like you know to shelter in place in different countries or in different places of what's happening and but when i'm before i go off my brain again it sometimes doesn't it just stops working <laughs> when when i post this if we maybe have a link to that story about your wife uh oh, that would sure. be, so be happy to send it to you it'd be really be really good for the dancers that know her and also people that are listening to this just to I think there's a, like a new interest of this era and wanting to know more of the stories and I'm going to post pictures. So if you send that, then people can kind of check out like, what did it look like backstage? Cause we have all of our pictures in front of the same set or in the dressing room, but your perspective is very different of what that stage looked like for you. Right. So, well, I'm going to let you guys go. I so appreciate you uh, coming on here because I just think, you know, you guys made the magic happen. And you got to see all the glamour and not glamour. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. And I have to say there's an awful lot of crew that, uh, of course, are not represented here tonight. But, uh, but we, uh, we appreciate all the work that they did, not only stage crew, but also the wardrobe. You know, you think about all these different aspects. Like you said earlier, if one of it isn't right, the show suffers. So it's, uh, it's amazing what it takes. It takes a village. Right. <laughs> Yeah. I have a three-inch binder that has everyone's cue for the whole show, and it's just hundreds of pages of what was actually done just for the two-hour show. Yeah, there, there is. I remember seeing a picture of that. Isn't there? That's still around at least one. Somebody. I, I actually, I posted it on the Hello Hollywood. Yeah. Side, was, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was like that whole like watching football play. But yeah. I would like if there's anyone listening, or if you know anybody from wardrobe, I also would love to interview a dresser. Um, yeah, so I just think like, we'd love to hear all the different components because, you know, we kind of ran into some of the same circles and sometimes there's people that you never saw the whole year you're in the show. All right, you guys stay safe, stay healthy, and thank you so much. And I will let you know when this episode comes out so you can uh, tell your children, like, this is what I did.
That's right. what I'm going to do. I've already <laughs> told them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank you and take care. Okay. Thank thanks, you. Sherry. Thank you. Bye. Very well.